This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. I am an attorney, has retired from the practice of law, and now am an author and producer of these videos, as well as a cons consultant to the insurance industry and the insurance buying public, and serve also as an expert witness on insurance claims handling. Today I'd like to talk about the false swearing defense incorporated in almost every insurance policy. In common language, the false swearing provision of an insurance policy merely means that if the insured lies under oath, the policy is void, whether the lie is in a proof of loss or at an examination under oath. In Texas and Oklahoma, for example, false swearing is explained this way by the Mississippi Supreme Court that found that false swearing defense would need to be applied since it would be unjust to allow a claimant to misrepresent facts which might lead to a valid defense and then allow that him to escape the consequences of the falsehood simply because he had succeeded so well that the company was unable to establish the defense. This was a 1977 case called Edmondson versus Schellinger. The Eighth Circuit upheld a false swearing defense when it stated that the Willises, the insureds, argued that State Farm, the insurer, made no showing that it had actually relied on Mr. Willis's misstatements, or that it would have done anything different had Mr. Willis told the truth. The jury was not instructed, however, that a showing of reliance was necessary, and the Willises did not object to the jury instruction. The court Therefore, thinking that the instruction was correct because reliance must be shown in a claim for fraud in the inducement, and an exception to the general rule exists, of course, if a statutory provision specifically makes a party's reliance an element of the defense of fraud or false swearing. Since the statute did not make reliance a requirement, the false swearing was sufficient to void coverage. The New Jersey legislature defined false swearing as existing when a person, quote, makes a false statement under oath or equivalent affirmation or swears or affirms the truth of such a statement previously made when he does not believe the statement to be true. This is New Jersey Statute 2C28-2. In North Carolina, the Court of Appeal recognized that it is a basic premise and principle of insurance law that the insurer may avoid its obligation under the insurance contract by showing that the insured made representations in his application that were material and false. 
misrepresentation on an insurance application are material if the knowledge or ignorance of it would naturally influence the judgment of the insurer in making the contract and accepting the risk. In order to void the policy, pursuant to a North Carolina statute, the defendant insurer must show that the insured made the statements that were one, false, two, knowingly and willfully made, and three, material. False swearing, of course, is a crime in all states. An insured that is guilty of false swearing is subject to the possibility of criminal liability. The person swearing falsely also destroys the right to recover under a policy of insurance. In my experience, I took the examination under oath of a person I suspected of fraud, and the person denied all of the facts leading up to the fraud. However, when the transcript was returned, all of the denials were changed to affirmations that, in fact, the person had committed fraud. And I asked the lawyer, for the insured, why did she change those statements? And his reply was, I didn't want her to go to jail for perjury. She didn't. She went to jail for insurance fraud. Sometimes people do not understand their own problems, and lawyers limit their knowledge of the law. An insurer can assert false swearing in an affirmative defense to an action brought by an insured. To constitute such a defense, the false statement must have been made under oath with the knowledge that it is false and with the intent that the person to whom the statement is made will rely on it. Actual reliance is not necessary. To support a defense to a claim or suit on a policy, the statement must be false and material to the claim. Almost every policy that insures against the risk of loss of property requires the insured to submit a sworn proof of loss. The proof of loss must provide complete details regarding the property insured, the origin of the loss and the value of the property claimed, damaged, or destroyed. A policy usually also requires the insured to give the insurer access to its books and records to prove the claim. Where fraud is suspected, or there is a difficulty on the part of the insured to provide evidence of the extent of loss, the insurer may demand that the insured be examined under oath. Significant deviations between the sworn proof of loss and the facts developed at an examination under oath can, by itself, be the basis of a defense of fraud or false swearing. If false swearing is found to exist, it will normally constitute a complete defense to any claim under a property insurance policy. A false statement made under oath in an examination under oath or proof of loss must, of course, be knowingly false. 
The difference between fraud and false swearing is that since false swearing involves a false statement made under oath, it is more difficult for the person speaking to back off from it when confronted. And that's why the young woman who eventually went to jail for insurance fraud changed her testimony and tried to avoid perjury. The value of the false swearing defense in fraud investigations is that it can provide an alternative basis for denying a claim. If the adjuster cannot prove fraud, but can prove that the insured lied under oath about some material fact, the insurer can effectively deny the claim. This is well illustrated by the case of Parasco versus Pacific Indemnity, a uh, District of Pennsylvania case from 1996, where the insurer suspected arson and denied the insured's fire loss claim, although the insurer could not prove arson by the insured's. There was a legitimate question as to whether the fire was incendiary in nature. The insurer also had clear proof of misrepresentations made by the insureds under oath regarding, among other things, their active intent to sell the property at the time of the fire. The court held that the materiality of false statements is to be determined at the time of the investigation, not at the time the policy came into effect or even at the time of the loss. The court further held that the insurer's investigation into the insured's possible motive to commit arson was entirely reasonable and prudent, and inquiries into the insured's financial condition were therefore material to the issue of motive. In one of my cases, an insured who we believed committed arson and who was arrested and tried for arson was found out when the police checked his home and found a duck decoy and a set of Encyclopedia Britannica that were part of his sworn claim. That was sufficient to convict the man of insurance fraud and of allow the insurer to avoid any obligation to pay him. Evidence that the insureds intended to mislead Pacific Indemnity was found because the court concluded there was an overvaluation of the loss, the proof of loss items were never existed, and the insured undervalued the salvage property and made false statements concerning ownership encumbrances relating to the property and the origin of the fire. False swearing can be proved by direct evidence, although usually direct evidence is not available. Most often, proof of false swearing comes from the admission of circumstantial evidence on the issue of false swearing, the absence of a co criminal conviction for arson, fraud, or false swearing does not, does not deprive the insurer of the false swearing defense. The burdens of proof are different. 
The crime requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt, while the defense only requires proof by a preponderance, that is 50% plus 1. As both the proof of loss and the testimony at examination under oath are sworn to by the insured, any material falsehood is sufficient to establish the defense of false swearing. The same is true of any difference between the facts testified to during the examination under oath or stated in a proof of loss and the facts developed from an audit of the insured's books and records. In one of our cases, an insured's public adjuster had put forth an extensive list of personal property that came more from imagination than reality. And when the insured was questioned about her Lalique perfume bottle, she testified she had never purchased Lalique perfume. Well, of course, Lalique doesn't make perfume. Lalique makes perfume bottles, among other things, out of very fancy and very expensive glass. The insured took back her claim fired her public adjuster, and her claim was settled based on reality rather than on the public adjuster's imagination. The U.S. Supreme Court stated the rule with regard to false swearing as follows, quote, A false answer as to any matter of fact material to the inquiry, knowingly and willfully made, with an intent to deceive the insurer would be fraudulent. If it accomplished its result, it would be a fraud effected. If it failed, it would be a fraud attempted. No one can be permitted to say in respect to his own statements upon a material matter that he did not expect to be believed. Their materiality in the eye of the law consists in their tendency to influence the conduct of the party who has an interest in them and to whom they are addressed. This is Claflin versus Commonwealth Insurance Company, an 1884 decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, which still stands as the key ruling with regard to false swearing, among other things. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 1 of a two-volume set, and is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful to you, please refer it to your colleagues, and please subscribe to my YouTube channel and to my blog so that you can learn about future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.